News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. Thanks a lot for hanging out with me or letting me hang out with you. I appreciate it. Laugh about it, shout about it when we have to choose the candidates debate on Saturday. That's a reference, by the way, to an old Simon and Garfunkel song. It's for the kids. That was a reference for the kids. Um, They did a debate. The John Locke Foundation hosted this debate uh, along with WTVD, a television station. uh, I think it's ABC 11. Jonah Kaplan was uh, one of the moderators. Donna King was uh, with the John Locke Foundation. And uh, this occurred on Saturday afternoon. And... Uh, Ted Budd, who is a congressman running for the U.S. Senate seat, he did not attend. He was down at CPAC uh, in Florida. Uh, McCrory, Pat McCrory, uh, former governor, he did attend. Mark Walker attended and Marjorie Eastman attended. They were the ones who uh, passed the threshold for uh, enough voter uh, support or polling support, I should say. So they were the three uh, uh, candidates in this debate. We get to the part now where a question is uh, raised about federal overreach during COVID, okay? Federal overreach during COVID. And what could the Senate do to protect individual liberties? Uh, Eastman said that the feds uh, should not be doing any kind of mandates. We have to keep the power at the local and the family level, she said. And then Mark Walker uh Uh, said that famous quote, I think it was Rahm Emanuel, although I think he attributed it to James Clyburn, but it was that never let a crisis go to waste comment that Rahm Emanuel made, remember? Think about that. A a pandemic, and their instinct is to never let a crisis go to waste, and they didn't. So they used COVID to literally fast-track some things. Specifically, they used it to see how much liberty Americans were willing to surrender. And frankly, they were surprised just how much liberty Americans were willing to surrender. Not only that, they used it in several states to literally override their state constitutions, declaring a state of emergency to send out mass ballots that were funded by George Soros and other liberals to help change the very election law. It's real, and we've got to fight against it. Okay, and that's, by the way, when people ask me about, like, oh, was the election rigged? The argument for... Uh, election integrity and the undermining of the election was the COVID rules, right? When, like, if you want to talk about rigging elections, the COVID rules allowed state law to be ignored, rewritten, tossed aside, and all sorts of uh, vulnerabilities exposed. So then um, next up is Pat McCrory. He says the science should not be politicized. It was insulting to watch our governor and our president implement things based upon, quote, science. Because it wasn't science, it was politics. I mean, think about North Carolina. We closed the bars but kept the breweries open. We closed the churches and the gyms but kept adult nightclubs open as long as they had buffets. We made junior high basketball players wear masks while running around the track or shooting basketball. And yet at Carolina and Duke and the Charlotte Hornets, they didn't have to wear masks. The virus knew the difference. Hey, that's my line. It was a joke. And we lost the trust of government because they said it was science when some of it was science, but some of it was pure politics. And we've got to take the politics out of science. 
And right now, politics is taking over science. And the COVID was a perfect example. And a lot of people suffered, a lot of small businesses. You know, we kept the Walmarts open and the Lowe's open, but we closed the small retail mom and pop store. It wasn't based upon science. It had to do with lobbyists in Washington and in Raleigh. Yeah, absolutely. That was, by the way, the whole COVID knows. Oh, yeah, I made a lot of hay. COVID knows. I mean, at the beginning, when they were coming out with these rules, it was laughable, right? That COVID would know if I'm sitting down or standing at a restaurant, right? COVID knows. COVID knows if I'm in a church or in this other place, that, like a strip club. COVID knows that if I'm in church, I'm not allowed to be there and COVID's going to get me. Yeah, the brewery, the breweries versus the bars, that whole thing. What a joke. Macquarie's exactly right. All right, let me jump over here and get Ronnie on. Hello, Ronnie. Welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, all right, I'm doing great today. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, sure. What's up? Um, I have actually had a chance to meet all four of them and talk to them personally at, a, at meetings that I've attended. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, if I were picking of those three of the of them, I would pick Mark. Uh, he connects very well. He, uh, I connected with him in a very interesting way on a, I guess, a more of a spiritual level, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he really would make a great senator for us now. Does he have the uh, what it takes to get to the nomination? Uh, I've, we've all known Pat for, what, 30 years? Mm-hmm. I've been here for over 30 years. We all know Pat. Um, but I, I And I met Marjorie, and she is a wonderful, wonderful woman, absolutely delightful person. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just think she's too new to the game. But uh, I would hope that Mark is able to win. Now, I will tell you one thing Pat did have an answer for that he didn't have an answer because I asked him this question very specifically is, what would you do to stop the indoctrination of our schools and colleges? And he didn't. He said, well, that's not a really a, a, a federal thing. So I'm, I'm glad to see he's actually come up with an answer for that. Right. <laughs> well, see that maybe you helped guide him on his campaign path into uh into a a policy position there or something yeah, yeah i mean at least he's uh, got an answer yeah yeah i i think I, I would hope everyone takes a really good look at mark walker uh i think he is uh i just personally think he's got a track record of of being able to overcome the odds like he did up in the raleigh area he uh he overcame a very powerful family up there to win his seat that he currently has and uh, I hope everyone will give them a good look. But thank you for your... So, Ronnie, before you run, hang on a second. Sure. You yeah. do kind of sound a little bit like Mark Walker. Has anybody told you that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell you what. Mark Walker actually <laughs> called me three or four times personally to come and see him. So I'll give him credit for also getting on the phone. Okay, there you go. <laughs> All right, there you, you know. go. No, I just noticed right. it's like your your uh, your dialect, your accent sounds very, your speech pattern sounds similar to his. But uh, I'm sure it's just a coincidence. Oh, Ronnie, I appreciate the call, man. Thanks so much. Take care. All right, buddy. Um, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I thought Walker, I thought Walker did a fine job. I mean, I think everybody did, uh, you know, everybody did fine. There was an, I don't think anybody made any egregious mistakes in a primary. I don't think that's usually the case either. Like usually the differences between everybody on policy is very small. So it's not like you're going to get rattled and flustered with like really divergent viewpoints and attacks and stuff like that. So uh, I think they all did fine, but yeah, I think uh, Eastman is very new, and I think that that showed, and that could be a plus or a minus, you know, like many things in life. 
News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right. This is the part you've been waiting to hear. Question during the debate between the candidates for U.S. Senate over the weekend. Uh, was It started off with a question about a John Locke Foundation survey that found election integrity to be among the top issues of primary voters. And then uh, Pat McCrory used that question to respond to Marjorie Eastman's repeated attacks over, you know, career politicians and, you know, new leadership needed. That, that was the theme throughout the night for her or throughout the evening for her. And um, and so finally, McCrory, well, take a listen. Well, first of all, we need to be role models on integrity. And as a city council member, I, I need to tell um, uh, Marjorie, also, I know you're new to North Carolina and you're also new to the Republican Party, but we have a tradition in North Carolina that we need to continue, and that is this, that we have a lot of part-time politicians, cities, council members, county commissioners, uh, school board members, which we need Republicans to run for more now than ever. So we need to keep that tradition in North Carolina to allow people to keep their jobs and work part-time in cities and towns across North Carolina. That is not a career politician. That is a public servant. And I was proud to do it as a city councilman and as a mayor. My gosh, we need more people to do that. And uh, that's where integrity is set. And I'm proud of my record integrity. Yes, I would support those efforts. I look forward to reviewing them. So I'd like to have my rebuttal now. <laughs> um, real quick. 30 seconds. Um, Governor, you can refer to me as Mrs. Eastman. And next, did you serve in the military? No. So let me help you out. So the military tells you where to live. Uh, 20 years ago, I was assigned here at Fort Bragg. And that's actually where I met my husband. And the military moved us all around since. And we knew this would be our forever home. Uh, we were actually stationed in Texas at one point, and they have these bumper stickers that say Native Texans. They're very proud. And I saw one once where Native was crossed out, and it said Texan with the flag, and underneath it it said, cut me some slack. I got here as fast as I could. <laughs> well, when my husband retired from the military, we were proud to come home to North Carolina because we fell in love here in 2002 and three. And I'm proud to be a North Carolinian. And I find it particularly insulting that you oh, want to go there. That's very disappointing. Okay. Thank well, you. Well, we welcome you to the Republican Party, and I'm proud of your service. Okay, so I'm I'd proud like my second rebuttal. You have 60 seconds to so. answer our question. <laughs> Listen, you can use the time however you want. I don't know what she said. So my second Mr. rebuttal, I, I don't we're know what you're getting at, rebuttal. but let me one give rebuttal. you a little bit of education there. Eastman, so we're limiting it to one rebuttal. You, you so have your 60 twice, You have your so 60 seconds. So I'm not allowed to talk about. You how have I'm your 60 Republican. seconds to answer our question. You may use that 60 okay, seconds however you like. That. I'll do that. Mm -hmm. So when I was in college, I registered as a Republican, and I was proud to vote right away, my first time voting. And when I joined the military after 9/11, when our country was attacked. Uh, when our country was attacked the last 20 years, I'm the one that served in combat here. I took on the tradition that a lot of military members do. And then they shift over and they registered unaffiliated because the military needs to remain apolitical. And I believe firmly in that. And I'm not, I'm not ashamed of that. And I am proud of every veteran that does that. That's a long-standing tradition. So yes, I was, I was registered unaffiliated. Guess what? 
North Carolina. About 30% of the electorate here is registered unaffiliated, and they vote center-right. They like our ideas. So for every unaffiliated voter that's listening right now, I welcome you, because apparently you have to be only a Republican to vote for Pat McCrory. I need, to, I need to repeat one more thing. I welcomed you to the Republican Party. I didn't say that to the crowd. I welcome you, and I welcome your military service, and I welcome you to North Carolina. All right, now hang on a second. His initial statement was he had to tell her that we have a tradition here of part-time elected officials. That's what he, that was his initial. Now, he did say the second time, he said, oh, and I welcome you. Now, maybe he realized that, what he meant to say wasn't conveyed with the same meaning. But look, he was pushing back against her attack. And then she just went and, and like kind of played victim on that a little bit. Like you were attacking him as a career politician. And he's pointing out that we need people of a limited government mindset to volunteer to take these part-time jobs as politicians in elected office. You can't just... You know, complain, complain. And by the way, you're running for one of those offices. This is the thing that always gets me, too. You know, you chose a U.S. Senate seat to run for as your first run, which is fine. I'm not again, if voters want, a, a, you know, a, a, a novice, an outsider, whatever, like you want that type of a, a candidate, then she could do very well. But the career politician thing, it only works effectively if career politician is corrupt seriously that's the only that's the only way that that attack works as an attack because if i've got a politician representing my state or me in a district or something and they're, and they're doing everything that i want and they're not corrupt i don't care if that's that career politician's career right because they're they're doing good work right now, if they're not doing good work, then it becomes an insult. And that's how she's using it as an insult. And she's, you know, making a term limit, a term limit argument as part of that as well. So you're going after him. He goes after you. And then her response was like, how dare you? That's insulting. You, you know, call me Mrs. Eastman kind of thing. And I, like, I don't know. Pat always calls everybody by their first name. So, yeah, what, but yeah, I don't think either of them. I don't know. Like, I don't Well. You can make your own assessment of that. I don't think either of them came away with more points than they had lost. Let me uh, finish the last like 20 seconds. I think it's here. great. Man, we have so many people moving to this great state. And I think a lot of it might be due to some good government leaders that we had here where we lowered <laughs> the taxes and make North Carolina more livable. That's fantastic. You know, I think Thank a good you. question is, is in due, right? Let's do a good question. Thank you. Let's, let's do a question. Once again, like, that is an odd pivot. It's the second time where she just like, hey, let's just do a question. Let's move on. So I don't know, like, does that does that work well in a debate against Sherry Beasley? Would that work well? I have no idea. I've not seen Sherry Beasley debate because all the Democrats cleared the field for her. So we don't get any kind of uh, uh, we don't get any kind of preview of uh, her performance uh, in a U.S. Senate candidate debate. And that, by the way, that could turn out to hurt her. We don't know. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. All right, so oh, let me read this quick. Uh, Dave says, 
Marjorie Eastman's excuse for being unaffiliated is horse poop. Military does not ask you your political party. I've got 24 years of military service. That is a red flag. Um, but look, maybe, you know, look, I'm registered unaffiliated. And in North Carolina, you can be unaffiliated and vote in either primary. And because I'm in Charlotte and then I was in Asheville and then I'm back in Charlotte, these are areas where Republicans don't tend to have many people to vote for. So if I'm not affiliated, I get to vote in the Democrat primary, too. So I get to have a voice in those primary races and try to, you know, prevent the Democrats from being their own worst enemies. So far has not worked. I have been unsuccessful, but... There is a benefit to being unaffiliated, and that's now the number two largest group of voters by registration is unaffiliated. Second only to the Democrats, but that's going to change, I think, within like the next month or two. There's the pace of Democrat erosion and unaffiliated growth. It's going to invert. So unaffiliated will be the number one political party. So, I mean, I, I get what Pat was doing. He was going after her for attacking him as a, quote, career politician. It did not, I don't think the argument landed, I don't think the attack landed well. Um, Her response seemed a little bit too victim-y for me. Didn't quite land, but I understood what she was going for. But the whole, you can call me Mrs. Eastman, is like, okay, he's calling you, he's calling him Mark, call me Pat, you know, you're Marjorie, whatever, he calls everybody by their first name, and so... Like, you're trying to make it out like he's disrespecting you because, what, you're a woman? Really? Seriously? Was that the argument? Was that the, that was the response? So, no. I, I And uh, she, she did not explicitly say that, but that's the vibe I got. And maybe I'm mistaken on that. Um, so then Walker gets to answer this question, and he actually goes back to the original question, which, do you even remember what it was? Aha! It was about election integrity. Kind of surprised that nobody's talked about voter ID. Ugh, if I would have had my 60 seconds, I would have. You well, did. I, all right. So you did have 60 seconds. You used it to attack Pat because he had said something else again to you. She wanted a second rebuttal. They wouldn't give it to her, but they said you still have 60 seconds for your initial response. You never used your initial response. And so she said, I will use that. But then she didn't use it to address the question. She used it to rebut. So that's clock management stuff. And this is, look, I get it. In a debate, it's tough, right? You got to get all your points in. You're on a clock, either 60 seconds or is it a rebuttal and 30 seconds? And who's who's up first? And, you know, what do I need to hit? What are my themes? My talking points? I need to make sure I mention this and that. It's tough. I get it. I think that's we'll where talk we talk about ha- it later. I think that's where we have to start is make sure the people show up. You know, it's interesting that I find that when we talked about COVID being fast-tracked, uh, Congressman Bud, uh, in January of last year, signed a piece of paper saying that he was pushing back. He would not accept the, the electoral votes that were signed off in six different states. Three months ago, he was asked by an AP reporter this question. Mr. Bud, was the 2020 election fair and square? He said, yes, Joe Biden is the legitimate president. He said, the reporter followed up with him and said, kind of surprised. He said, so you're saying that Joe Biden won by 7 million votes? He said, yes. This, this is the guy that's endorsed by President Trump, who's supposed to be out there fighting for us, who the first tough question folds up like a cheap suit. 
You have to have warriors willing to stand up and fight for this. I, look, there's no question that mass ballots were mailed out in multiple states that we will never know who filled the ballots out, who collected them, and sure as heck who mailed them in. And I'm not afraid to say it. We've got to make sure election integrity is on the ballots this coming year. Please hold applause. That was against the rules, but Walker's comments prompted the audience to break the rules. And I can tell you that the audience generally from the John Locke Foundation, they were very, very interested in election integrity. It was the uh, the topic of several of the breakout groups that they had over the weekend at their conference, which preceded the debate. And when uh, one of them that I got into was uh, was run by Dr. Andy Jackson from John Locke Foundation. He was one of the moderators and our friend A.P. Dillon. Uh, she was uh, one of the panelists as well as a fellow from the Capital Research Group and uh, or Capital Research Center. Sorry. Um, talking about like mapping the left and where is all this money coming from? And people in that meeting were so mad at the way the election rules were changed in 2020. And they were they were yelling at the Republican lawmakers for not doing enough to stop that from happening. Like, and and part of this is that people don't know that, you know, here are the tools that you can use Uh, short of like, I I don't know what else The, the, the legislature sued, right? The legislature went through the courts and tried to block everything that they could. And they just, they were not successful in the courts on some of that stuff. So like, what's the argument then? We start just going in and, what, arresting people? With what sort of legislative power do we have to do that? Like, who's who's doing this? Like, I, I'm confused as to how the vision of how this plays out looks. Like, what does that look like? Who's doing what precisely and under what authority? And then how do you walk that back when you're no longer the one in power because the other team gets to turn it back, too? So, anyway, there, there was a lot of anger and passion around this issue and Walker tapped into it uh, with that answer uh, in, in the debate. Now, uh, one other thing on Eastman's residency, this is from WRAL, uh, that they got documents from multiple sources showing Eastman registered to vote in North Carolina as unaffiliated November 16, 2018. After moving to a different carry home, she retained her status of being registered without a party preference on September 23rd, 2020. Fast forward almost a year to August 2021, she changes her party identification to Republican. The transition came six weeks before she entered the U.S. Senate race in early October. State Board of Elections data shows she did not vote in the 2020 Republican primary. She voted in person for the general election in 2020. She did not respond to a request for comment on these filings. In a statement after the event, though, she said she did not appreciate, quote, cheap shots from a failed politician who has never seen the battlefield. So that was the uh, conclusion there of the uh, of the fight between Eastman and McCrory. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, we got one more exchange, and this is Walker ripping into McCrory over his uh, election 
performances over the years. 2020 was a big election year. 2016 was a big election year. And I consider the former governor a friend of mine. But when you are running in a statewide race and you win a supermajority than Republicans, of Republicans, up and down the ballot, even Republicans won in Mecklenburg County, and you don't win, it gives me some pause moving forward, whether it's 2016, 2020, or 2024. In the polling, you're looking at close to 70% of the people who have the former governor, they know the former governor, but are looking for somebody else in this U.S. Senate race. Doesn't mean that he hasn't done good things, and we applaud those things. But the great majority, more than two-thirds of Republican primary voters, even though they know the former governor, are not going to vote for him in 2024 or 2022. That's why this vote matters, and that's why you need to have people who can win. We've won all five elections, three general elections and two primaries. Former governor, as this is the fourth time he's running. He's only won once. And I think that should give every Republican in the state of North Carolina pause about Thank hitching you, their Warren. wagon to the former governor. All right. Now, to be fair, Pat McCrory has run for way more races than four. Now, statewide, correct. Statewide, he's running for U.S. Senate now. right? And he ran for governor three times before winning one of them. He lost the first time to Bev Perdue. He ran again, beat Walter Dalton, who? Walter Dalton. That was his campaign commercial. That's how bad he was. Because everybody thought that Purdue was going to run for re-election. And then the last minute, like, she goes to Asheville. She, like, guzzles a bunch of beer at a brewery. And then the next day, she's like, I'm not running for re-election. I don't know what happened. Not for real. I have no idea what happened. She was like, I'm out. And so they threw uh, Walter Dalton out there, who was the lieutenant governor, I believe. And that cleared the way for... um, uh, Dan Forrest as well. And McCrory won and Forrest won. And then Cooper comes along and McCrory loses. But but Forrest wins re-election. And that's what um, Trump was referencing. Remember in the when he made the endorsement of Ted Budd? When he made the endorsement, he said, you can't pick people who have lost two races. He's talking about Pat. But Pat has won a lot of races. Pat ran and was undefeated as mayor seven times in Charlotte. That's pretty impressive, right? That's seven. So, okay, well, that's just, well, that's just the mayor of a big city, the biggest city in in North Carolina. So that's, I don't know, I think that's pretty important. If you're going to be tallying the guy's wins and losses, then you throw in the city council race. I think he lost one before that um, for some other board. So, but overall, yeah, I mean, he, he's won more than he's lost. But statewide, yes, he lost two gubernatorial races and won one. Here was his response. Mr. Mr. McCrory, Mr. please hold your applause. Mr. Well, McCrory. thank you very much for that applause. I appreciate that. Uh, I was the only third Republican governor elected in North Carolina since the Civil War, and there hadn't been one elected since either, I might add. Listen, I I initiated policies in the state of North Carolina not to win the next election, but to help the next generation. And I stand by every decision that I made. I fought for every one of you. I fought for every one of you. And I stood up to the values of North Carolina, and it might have cost me the election. But don't we need some people in Washington, D.C. who care more about the next generation than the next election now more than ever? 
That's what I did. And I had George Soros, he went after in my election, they had George Soros go after the governor's race, the attorney general race, and the state Supreme Court. They won all three. They left everything else alone. We're gonna have George Soros again, even despite the connections to our own Republican candidate. But it wasn't Democrats who were voting for you, it was Republicans. Excuse me, we're, we're still speaking here. So there's McCrory using the we <laughs> instead of I'm still speaking. Um, so far, that's actually a really good response to that charge. That's a really good response, which was, I went to fight for you. I did all of these things for you. And I got targeted by George Soros and this, you know, concerted campaign against me, the attorney general's race and the Supreme Court, because they knew that they wanted to upend election laws. So, and change, yeah, change the dynamic on what gets prosecuted, who gets to defend the General Assembly, that's the Attorney General's office. So you, and then who gets to determine if the AG made a good case or not, oh, that would be the court. This has all been about the redistricting thing. They've been, they've been laser focused on getting control of the legislative bodies by 2020 because the census was here and redistricting was coming. So... These are the races that, and by the way, why do you need the governor in North Carolina? Oh, the governor appoints the Board of Elections. And what did Roy Cooper do? He sued when the General Assembly changed the way the Board of Elections was appointed. To make it a bipartisan panel, Roy Cooper sued to prevent that from happening. That's the point. So, I thought McCrory's response was, Pretty solid. Now, what what Walker is saying there is uh, that the polling he was referencing was about Republican primary voters. That's who he was talking about. So Republican primary voters are looking for somebody other than Pat is what he's essentially saying. I'm proud of my work. George Foreman's one of my heroes. When you get knocked down, you get up and swing again. That's the American dream. How many of you have been knocked down and had to get back up again? Thank you, Mr. McCrory. Every one of us. That's the American dream. That's the American way. And I'm going to do just that. I did it in 2008 and 2012, Thank and you, I'll Ms. do McCrory. it again right now. Thank, Thank you. you. Ms. Eastman. Thank you very much. <laughs> that was actually one, the one thing I told a... a a old friend that I saw at the conference, I said, if you're going to come to my panel, please don't be the one person clapping for me. I just, I would rather there not be any. And then that happened later. After 9-11, when I was registered Republican, <laughs> I said, no one does that, that to my country. <laughs> no one does that to my country. How can I help? And I joined the military and I served and I fought for this country I fought for this country, I put my life on the line for this country because I love our country. I love our country. You fast forward 20 years to that disastrous fall of Afghanistan, which was reckless and completely avoidable. I said again, how do I help? Because I love my country and no one does this to my country. And the root of these problems is failed leadership because of career politicians. I can win in the general election because I'm the North Carolina Yunkin. I'm the fresh voice and the outsider. I want to serve my country again. And I believe North Carolina wants a fresh voice, a combat veteran, 
and a mom as their next U.S. senator. All right, there you go. You are all caught up on the U.S. Senate debate. Stick around. Brett Winterbull coming up next on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. I will see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.